Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I am so delighted to be able to grab my absolutely favorite debunker of myths, debunker of people in positions of power fooling us about things that have to do with the foods that we feed our dogs and cats. I've had Ryan Yamka share time with me on this show many times over the years, and I'm really happy that he is here to do what he does best, which is speak truth to power. Kind of a corny phrase, but honestly, I really want you in listening to understand that he is considered one of the most serious experts in the field of pet nutrition, and yet he will poke holes in any nonsense that's put up there. He will burst any bubble that is floated. In fact, in 2020, and I didn't know this until recently, he won the Rogue Pet Science Pet Industry Disruptor Award. And Ryan, I just want to say I am so proud to be a co-disruptor with you and tell people, pull the wool off of people's eyes because it's, it's a pretty snug cap put on their, on their heads by the industry. The industry isn't always the pet food industry. It could be the FDA. It could be all kinds of industrial powers who get us with fancy sort of titles to articles or even to supposed research that's been done and then 
people get carried away not understanding what they've been told. One of the things at a recent, you were on a panel recently um, that I had the pleasure of attending, and one of the myths that you debunked was about senior foods. Now, I've always wondered why if we have senior dogs who are losing muscle, I'm saying dogs even more than kitties, but it's the same thing. So let's say they lose muscle with age the way people do. Why would we put less protein in their food? Isn't that what senior foods do? Reduce the protein and fat and give them more fiber? Yeah, many times um, that that is the case. And if you think about it, um, they're taking out the nutrient density of of that food. And and lots of times when they're putting in fiber and they're giving you this reason to believe, you're actually tanking digestibility as well. So not only are you lowering things like protein, but you could be reducing their bioavailability of certain amino acids. And one of the things I, I always tell people is, is you got to be aware of what is marketing and what is reality. That whole senior category is really a marketing category. Yes. Um, if, you look, if you look at NRC, uh, which is Nutrient Requirements for Dogs and Cats, if you look at AFCO, which has their minimum guidelines for dogs and cats, they only recognize growth and maintenance. There is no senior categories in there. And so when you look at these companies that do senior seven plus, senior 11 plus, senior 15 plus. Seniors dead, but still feed them, even if they're in the grave. Yeah, and it's literally coming down to marketing. And and a lot of times the consumer fool didn't believe and there's something really going on there because one food might show it has 20% crude protein in there, where the next one is showing 19% protein in there. And in reality, when you analyze them, they're the same. Um, and that's a common term. I refer to it as decimal point nutrition. They're giving you a reason to believe that it exists and you need to have it. And your, your dog or cat is special and has special needs. Right. When in reality, they, they, they don't need that food. Um, in fact, I just had a recent discussion uh, with a board certified vet, you know, asking them what their philosophy was on this. And they even said there's no established nutrient requirements for a senior animal. Um, and more importantly, why would you take them off a healthy food when they're healthy and thriving and, and there's nothing going on? Meaning, keep them on adult. They're getting the right levels of protein. They're getting the right levels of every other nutrient in there. And then once they have an issue, which, you know, if you're doing routine care and they're looking at blood markers, then that's the time you engage. So if the dog happens to get arthritis, okay. Put them on a, a omega-3 fatty acid supplement, yes. or if you want to go down the road of a therapeutic food, go ahead. And, and even if you look at the therapeutic uh, category for even arthritis, um, you know, one company follows it more like it's an arthritic puppy food. Another one <laughs> makes it an arthritic, like literally senior food, where not only are they cranking in all the fatty acids, but they're cranking in the fiber as well and a protein. And lots of times you start getting muscle atrophy in those situations where you actually want to feed them. And, you know, just like where everybody wants to get buff at the beginning of the year, right? You want to bump up that protein intake because you want to maintain and put on that muscle. Yes. As soon as you take it, as soon as you, take it down um, you know, you start to atrophy and, and, and wither away. 
Exactly. And that's that's why when I mentioned muscle loss as dogs get older, people have it too. It's harder and harder to keep the muscle you already had. And with dogs, even if you keep them active and as they get older and maybe achier and more arthritic or joint problems, which is arthritis in the end of the day, they move around less. So they're burning fewer calories, but we want them to have protein. We want them to have something that builds muscle. Where, and you made another really interesting point that people don't quite understand. Fiber is good. It helps the food move through the digestive system, whether it's humans or dogs or cats to a lesser degree. They don't really need fiber in anything like the way dogs and humans do. But it also can keep it moving too quickly. And if you have prebiotic, probiotic, the bacteria, that whole other conversation about ingesting and digesting and utilizing the vitamins and nutrients in the food. Is it true that if it moves through too quickly, what little protein is in there because they've taken so much of it out just goes on its merry way without being absorbed into the dog's body? Could, could very well occur. Um, you know, it's, it's a careful balance. Um, and that's why I usually say when you're looking at foods, you know, people can ask the question before they buy the food. You know, Facebook is, is very good these days. If you want a quick response, um, oh, go, really? to their, uh, go, go, go to their webpage on Facebook. And you know what? Shoot a comment on one of their posts. And I guarantee you they'll, they'll direct message you because they don't want to no answer kidding. it out in a public forum. Right. Wow. And you can ask them, what's the digestibility of this food? Hey, better yet, what's the fiber levels of this food? And what you'll find out really quickly is, A, did they do the homework to figure out what they're doing is accurate? But there's a careful balance of promoting healthy GI as well as maintaining high digestibility of the nutrients in there. And if you end up, and, and there's certain times that, yes, you want to crank up fiber um, for a cat, like for a hairball food. Right. You, you, want it, you want it coming out the back end and not stepping in at the middle of the night. It's better in a litter box. Right. Or in the case of a dog. Um, you know, a lot of people have a tough time pulling back on the amount of food they feed. So they put high fiber foods out there. But when you have that situation, you need to bump up all those other nutrients for the exact reason that you're talking about is because the chances of them absorbing everything that what they think is in the food going into to the animal is reduced because we all know once you crank up fiber, you reduce digestibility and the bioavailability of nutrients. And it's no different than, than humans. Well, that's, you know, I think it's something that people don't really understand. And it's really a simple equation. It doesn't take the kind of years of knowledge and deep scientific uh, facts that you have. It's if, if the food stays in the digestive system long enough to be absorbed and is digestible in the first place, then good what you're feeding is actually feeding the dog, is nourishing the dog. The nutrients are reaching the dog. If it goes in one end and out the other and doesn't pass go, as we used to say in Monopoly or whatever that phrase was, then you've just fed the yard waste and you didn't realize it because there's some belief that somehow fiber is good and, and the whole thing of protein first People are confused about that because it can say chicken is our first ingredient, which could be, of course, a ground-up chicken carcass, but it doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of other things in there that might even interrupt the, the ability of the dog's system to take in the nutrients of the protein, right? Because not all proteins even created equal. 
No, they're not. And then uh, depending on processing conditions and right. source of raw materials, um, you can impact the quality of that protein as well, right? Yes. The, the, the main goal, the, the main, it's, I always say it's not about the quantity of the protein, it's about the quality. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, what does that mean? Well, you're really feeding the dog to get all their essential amino acids. After that, really doesn't matter. Interesting. But depending on depending on how that food is processed, handled, things like that, a lot of those essential amino acids can be bound to sugars, which means they're no longer bioavailable. Yes. You can have you can have a lot of other like non-essential amino acids and other things going on in there. And usually, when you start seeing foods that are quote unquote high in protein, um, I always question the quality of the protein when you start seeing them adding supplemental amino acids. Um, so when you look at uh, a pet food bag, dog, cat, rat, whatever, right? Um, and, and they say high protein, and then you look at the ingredient statement, and they're adding four or five synthetic amino acids, whether it be lysine or methionine or even taurine, uh, you've you got to question, okay, well, what's the value of that meat source? Because that meat source should be bringing all those buggers. Interesting. Right? Yeah, these are the things that it's really hard for the average citizen to understand, to take the time to look at, so you really have to have this really high trust, faith, and confidence in the pet food brand. Now, another thing you brought up at that conference was keto diets, K-E-T-O, which has become, I mean, it's in many iterations been popular for humans, starting back with Dr. Atkins and the Miami Beach diet. All of them were high-protein and it said low carbs, but it really meant low sugar because humans are so sugar addicted. So if people in theory ate really high protein, but not processed, not lacking all of its amino acids, chunks of whatever thing was considered protein, they were supposed to lose weight. And then this idea was suddenly foisted off on dogs. And as you said at the conference, it's sheer nonsense. There's no such thing as a keto diet for a dog. A dog doesn't lose weight by feeding him heavy-duty protein, right? Right. Um, in fact, uh, back in my yesteryears, um, the only, like, cats are very different. So you can Yes, get we're not talking going. cats, exactly. So it's a ketosis, right? Yes. Um, but with, with dogs, I, I can tell you personally, I have fed foods that are crazy high in protein that are not even out there um, in the marketplace. Obviously, right. fat with it, um, super low in carbohydrate, and you cannot induce ketosis like you do in cats. Um, a lot of the people that are out there talking about it in dogs and everything else, and marketing foods as such, or even name name their foods after such. Yes. Um, you know, as, as I always tell people, and God, I trust all of their bring data because there's no published data on it. And unfortunately, what you see in a lot of those situations, and typically if you want to make them ketotic, you've you got to starve them, right? Yes. Um, which, you know, you, you don't want to starve a dog. No, thank you. Stuff happens. Um, but it, nobody has ever shown the data to demonstrate that it does that. And unfortunately, what they're doing is they're playing into marketing hype, right? And it's no different when um, people talk about certain ingredients. It's like, okay, show me the data in the dog. Well, in humans, well, right. it's great. Humans, right. yeah, you're, you're true. In rats, yes, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. But show me in dogs. Um, and that there just simply isn't data to, to show that. 
So, um, so people so, could be spending a massive amount of money and going in the wrong direction. I mean, there was even somebody who reached out to me at some point to be a guest on the show, had some sort of a sanctuary or retreat for dogs with cancer and very proudly announcing on the website and in the press release that he had put all these dogs on a keto diet. And wow, he'd cured them of cancer. I'm like, are you serious? That is just straight up bullpucky, my friend. There's no way, Jose. But he didn't back off. I said, I would never put you on a platform that I stood behind. And I think you should really think twice about trying to raise money for this sanctuary for dogs with cancer, telling people you're doing with a keto diet when there's no such thing in the first place. And it certainly is no cure for cancer. Things like that must put your hair on fire, too, when you hear about them, right? Well, first of all, if they had a cure for cancer, they'd be selling that food to everybody. Oh, they yeah. They, they, right. They, mm-hmm. they wouldn't even need to be talking to you. or That's myself. right. Because everybody would be buying it. They'd be in the billionaire probably, club. Yeah, and I would probably be eating it myself. Me, too. Um but the, uh, unfortunately, you have people out there that go out there and they make these egregious claims. And that's a drug claim. Uh, that's so right. technically, if, if they put that on their packaging, on their label, on whatever, um, if the FDA doesn't go after them, the FTC will. Um, you're not allowed to make claims, that, uh, as I call them, the, the drug claims. You say you're, you cure, treat, prevent, or mitigate, or you actually name the disease. Right. In this case, the double whammy cures in cancer. Right. <laughs> That's a drug claim. Yeah. Um, and 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 right. And then all of a sudden now what what will happen is FDA will be like, cool, if you think it's a drug, well, then you need to run the right studies that, you know, drug companies go through. Yes. Um, and and that's what they should do. Have they done that? The answer is no. And it's like well, what happens is a lot of times is with dogs like that. They'll, they'll, they'll do starvation or cause starvation in some form to kickstart the metabolism. And then what they do is they feed a low-carb food. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the benefits of that is you, you're starving the tumor because it's a low-carb food. Um, could you feed another food versus their food uh, during treatments and everything else? Absolutely. Um, but that food treatment curing cancer, yeah, not happening. Um, if somebody spent their money on it, I, I apologize. You should go to something else. Exactly. The the best way to deal with your dog's cancer after you've seen an oncologist and done whatever proven treatments there are is just to love them a lot and maximize your time with them and feed them as many things as you want because it neither cures nor causes cancer what you're feeding them. There's It's just too complex of a disease. So just enjoy your time with the pet. Ryan Yamka, you are such a great myth debunker and such a great pet industry disruptor. You deserve that award. I really thank you for being here and helping me to just shake people up a little bit. We really do want to rattle your cages and have you not fall down the rabbit hole of believing everything you read. Got any questions? You can write to me, Tracy at Tracy Hodgner Pets. And Ryan will be back with me, Dr. Ryan Yank will be back with me to debunk some more myths. Thanks again, Ryan. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. 
I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 